1: It's not that animals are valueless to God. Obviously, God is aware when a single sparrow falls to the ground. But rather that people are far
0: more valuable to God. Well, that is something we are exploring here today on Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Layton Sheely from Church of the Highlands right here in San Bruno and online at highlands.us. Hi there, and welcome to our program. We are back in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, a message entitled, Support Your Pastor. And really, that is precisely what we're looking at, the fact that God places a premium on you and I as believers in Christ, and especially those he has called to lead his church. Let's explore some more, shall we? Once again, here's Pastor Leighton Sheely with today's study, Verse by Verse.
1: Verse 5 Don't we have the right to take along a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Cephas is the name for Peter. My wife was raised Roman Catholic, and some of us were taught that priests should remain unmarried because the apostle Peter, who led the apostles, was not married. However, the Bible teaches clearly that Peter was married, not only here but elsewhere. On one occasion, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. And as far as I know, you can't get a mother-in-law unless you take a wife. They come as a bundled package. The passage here also refers to the Lord's brothers. And some of us have been taught that Mary remained a virgin after Jesus was born. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that she remained a virgin until Jesus was born. And then after that, Joseph and Mary had other children, other sons. We know in the gospel, there's one occasion when Mary and some of the brothers of Jesus came to get him. Um, The scriptures uh, tell us that James, the brother of Jesus, uh, became the head of the church in Jerusalem. Another brother of Jesus named Jude is the one who wrote the book of Jude that's found in the New Testament. The scriptures indicate to us that Jesus' brothers did not believe Jesus was God until after the resurrection. After the resurrection, they saw that their older brother, Jesus, was indeed who he had claimed to be, that he was God in human flesh. Now, the main point of what Paul is writing here is that Peter and the other apostles were able to travel and preach because they were supported by their church. In fact, they were so, so, so well supported that they could take their wives along with them. Their wives didn't have to work on a second job outside in order to provide for the needs of the family. The, the finances were provided to the extent that the wife could accompany her ministry husband in the ministry. Now, a related point here is you'll notice it says a believing wife. A believing wife. An unbelieving wife cannot minister and cannot support the ministry of her husband. She's of no benefit to him. If a minister has an unbelieving wife, she might as well leave her at home, because she's not going to be any help. But a believing wife is not only a source of encouragement to her her pastor or a preacher, husband, missionary husband, but is herself capable of ministry. You see, every believer is a minister. Whether you carry the title or not, if you're a believer, you're a minister. God has called you to ministry. And wherever it is that you are placed, you might be an executive or a clerk or a secretary or a handyman or whatever it might be, wherever it is that you are placed, that's your place of ministry. And God puts you there so that you could minister to others around you and present the gospel to them. So the wife of a pastor who is a believer is not only a support to her husband, but is also a minister and has the opportunity to minister others as well now another related point here is that a believer should never willingly choose to marry an unbeliever um, any unbelieving spouse does not share the same love, of God, love for God goals, values or allegiance to God's word as a believer does That would make them unequally yoked, and therefore they cannot pull together as a team in the harvest field of God. We should be equally yoked. A believer should always choose a believer to marry. Verse 6 Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? Now, Barnabas traveled with Paul during the first missionary journey. Before they set out on the second missionary journey, there was a dispute between them that caused them to separate, causing, resulting in two missionary teams. But because these two men refrained from taking money in the churches, some people in the churches were saying they're not really apostles. Also, uh, Paul's business was tent making, and tent making was considered lowly work, it was the work for slaves. And so, some people had a problem that this man called Paul, who claimed to be an apostle, had a job that was menial. It was like a job that slaves would do. And so, they thought, how could somebody who works with their hands in a menial job possibly be an apostle? Well, Paul asserts that he is an apostle, and that he's the pastor of the church. And even though that they have not taken advantage of the rights that are theirs, they deserve them nonetheless. Now... Paul makes clear here and elsewhere that he doesn't put himself above the other apostles. They all had a right to support from the churches. And so he gives some examples here of people who receive from their work and in their work compensation. Verse 7 Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? What's he saying? He's saying that a soldier is provided the clothes and shelter and food and guns and ammunition and other essentials that are needed for his job. And no one would guilt a farmer who is working out under the hot sun for throwing some grapes into his mouth to be refreshed and nourished. And no one would blame a farmer for taking a glass of milk when he's gotten up before sunrise to go out and feed and, and milk the cows. All three types of workers are paid for their work, by their work, and in their work, and it's the customary thing, it's the rightful thing, it's the expected thing, and shouldn't that also be true for God's workers as well? Verse 8, do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? So what's he talking about here? He's he's using an illustration from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, uh, in those days, they they used an ox to tread out the grain. And and what they would do is they would hitch the ox to a horizontal wheel, and the the ox would would, uh, walk in a circle, and that wheel would would grind down the grain and separate the grain from the chaff. The the winds would would blow the chaff away, and 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 the good grain would fall to the threshing floor. And God said that while the ox was doing his job, he should be able to reach down occasionally and get something to eat as he worked. And the application here is the preacher's not to be muzzled, he's to be fed while he works. Now, J. Vernon McGee, that great uh, radio Bible uh, teacher and preacher, the one with the grovelly voice, uh, he, he told a story connected to this passage. He said, I I heard a story about a preacher in Kentucky who drove a very fine, beautiful horse, but the preacher himself was a very skinny, scrawny fellow. One day, one of the church leaders asked him the question, how is it, preacher, that your horse is so fine looking and you are such a skinny, scrawny fellow? The preacher answered, I will tell you, I feed my horse and you feed me. Now, obviously, I was not the inspiration for Pastor McGee's story. You know, Dad and I have talked about going out to Borneo, and, and uh, but he's been a little apprehensive to, to take me with him because where we're going is surrounded by cannibals. And uh, <laughs> I think he's afraid we'll be invited over for dinner or something like that. Now, this passage is not to be misconstrued as suggesting that God is not interested in oxen. But rather, that God is more interested in human beings. Jesus said in Matthew 10 29, What's the price of two sparrows? One copper coin. But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid, you are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. It's not that animals are valueless to God. Obviously, God is aware when a single sparrow falls to the ground, but rather that people are far more valuable to God. This is important for us to remember because we live in a time when there's this teaching that that puts the value of human life on par with the value of animals. Or even weirder, puts the value of animal life as being more valuable than the value of human life. And that is not a godly, biblical perspective. God not only cares for oxen, he also cares for preachers as well. Verse 10. Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much to ask if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? Now, the passage that he's referring to here is found in Deuteronomy chapter 25, and it pertains to social and economic relationships between men. So, Paul here explains that God was speaking for our sake, that men should earn, uh, should earn their living from their labor. A plowman and the thresher should be able to work in hope of sharing the crops. Now, obviously, we should be very conscientious of what ministries we support financially. These ministries should be sound biblically uh, and, and responsible. Not everybody who does things in the name of the Lord deserves our financial support. Being wise in what we support is part of our responsibility of stewardship. The word here, if... In Paul's statement, if we sowed spiritual things, presents a condition assumed to be true. That is, if genuine spiritual ministry has occurred, then it should not be too much to ask material things from you. But what is Paul saying? He's saying, in effect, I have shared my possessions with you. And my possessions have eternal value. Is it too much to
0: ask if you share your possessions with me? There really is a reasonableness that, for some odd reason, when it comes to our wallets, just flies right out the door, doesn't it? Our hope and prayer is that we are restoring that reasonableness that the Lord has established here in His Word. And that we come to understand what it means to support our pastors Questions, comments, we'd love to hear from you. As always, the great place to start is our website, Highlands.us. That's Highlands.us. Take a moment, visit us, drop us a line, and then come back and join us tomorrow as we close the week in First Corinthians chapter 9 on study verse-by-verse verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely.